All right, so just a little background. We started with holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And obviously we, we look at that and that is a great song. And we look forward to the fact that there'll come a day when all of us will be joined together with God in heaven around his throne. And we will sing with the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That being said, that song is not going to be sung only then. Instead, it is a song that has already been sung. Go back to the book of Isaiah in chapter 6, and we see that as the angels gathered around the throne, they sang those very same words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His holiness has already been settled. It has already been determined that he is the one who is in over everything. He is over everything. He is the one who still is in authority. Some of us are stressed over the things that are happening in our world. There is a sense of almost fear and intrepidation as we deal with the coming election that will take place this week or the COVID virus that we just prayed specifically about. I want you to know that regardless of what happens this week, that song, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, will still be correct. He is still holy. He is still over everything, and nothing is out of his control. So I'm going to tell you, I have an opinion. I, I, I know who I think should win, but God might have a different plan. I know that that's hard to believe because God's got to think the same way that we do. But the truth is, sometimes God allows things to happen that are very different from the way I would want them, but it does not change the fact that God is still in control. He is still holy, He is still over everything, and there is nothing that surprises Him. So, before I get, I'm not even in my message yet. I want you today to be encouraged. Do not fear. Our God is still in control, and He's going to provide. And we have a reason to be at peace and to look forward to what happens tomorrow. All right, now I'll get into my sermon. It is great to have each of you with us this morning. It's great to be able to worship. It's great to be able to spend time in God's Word. It's great to be able to allow the Word to speak directly to us. I was reading this week, and one of the statements I read I thought is very appropriate to the world in which we live said this, the fool says, I will not get into the water until I have learned how to swim. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, we had a, um, uh, a, a group of kids that we decided to take water skiing. Now, these were kids, most of them had never been in the water before for water skiing or anything, but we get out on the boat, and one of the kids is really arrogant. Uh, he's very loud, letting everybody know how good he is at this, and he's done it before, and man, this is going to be a piece of cake. You guys are all going to have a great time. Well, as he is speaking, one of the adult leaders is trying to tell everybody else, this is how you do it. And as he's explaining, this other young man who is telling everybody that he already knows how to do this because he's done it a hundred times, he's standing near the edge. So this adult leader said, tell you what, we're going to let him start. And he pushes him out of the boat. Suddenly we realized he was all talking, no action. This kid had never been in the water in his life. He couldn't swim. And he starts it out. Now he doesn't realize he's got this vest that will keep him up anyways. The point is that there are many who say that they want to get in the water. 
Actually, I don't. I'd rather not. (laughs) But if you have not prepared for it, when you do get in the water, it's a very scary thing. None of us would choose battle over peace. How many of us would choose a contentious home over a peaceful home? How many would choose a riot over a celebration? How many would choose war over peace? The answer is none. But the reality is that we will all face times of unrest. We will all be thrown in the water at some point or another. We will all have to face battles. But in those moments, we can be prepared if only we know where to turn. I have a passage of scripture. I'm going to have Jonathan read to you uh, this morning. Actually, would you come on up and read this for me? Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 is what we've been reading for the last uh, two weeks. And this is our key passage for this series. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally... Excuse me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the com. Can you see me through? Yeah, hi. Okay. Actually, let's let's stop for just a second. We're going to pray for Jonathan this morning. Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We know that there are times that um, uh, this world catches up to us. And I just pray today that you would give Jonathan strength and I pray that you would touch him. Again, we've been praying already today and just asking the Lord to work miraculously in our midst. I pray that you would be with Jonathan. I pray that you would uh, give him strength and uh, whatever it is that is within him right now. I pray that your grace would be extended, that you would be, uh, show yourself to be greater than whatever the trial is. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to read the whole passage to you again. I think I realize what the problem is here. Man, the words on your page are so tiny. (laughs) All right, I'm going to read it to you anyways. I'll do the best I can. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all power, or with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly 
as I ought to speak. So we have within this passage a call for us to declare boldly that God is still on the throne. It's very much about the call for us to be prepared because there is a battle that is taking place and a battle that will continue to take place. Obviously, in this particular passage, it identifies uh, specifically the armor of God that we ought to be putting on every single day. Our key verse for today comes from verse 13, and I'll read it again. This one's from the New International Version. His is the ESV. Uh, It says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. When the day of evil comes, when our faith is tested, when we realize that the battles we face today are bigger than what we can handle, that's when we're going to need to be ready to stand. Well, I wanted to share a biblical story of this just to help us understand what this should look like in our daily lives. It's nice to read it and you you listen to it and you think, oh yeah, I get it, that's what we're supposed to do. I thought it would be beneficial for us to see from the scriptures an example of when this took place. But I chose one today that comes from all the way back in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles. So I'm going to ask you if you would, if you turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Here we find a beautiful passage of how God's people properly responded in the face of incredible adversity. I won't read the entire chapter, but I'll just look at a few verses encouraging you to go back and read the rest of the story as a part of your own personal daily devotional life. Again, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and listen to what it says. We're going to begin in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Muonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon, Tamar, that is in Gedi. So our story begins with a time of peace that apparently was taking place among the people of Judah. If we were to read chapters 17 through 19, we would see that Judah is experiencing a very good time as a nation. Jehoshaphat has succeeded his father Asa as the king. Well, Jehoshaphat is apparently a very good king. He has made God a priority in the life of Judah, which unfortunately is not something that was typical. He has torn down false idols. He has installed godly men throughout the kingdom to judge the people fairly. In chapter 18, we see that Judah did help Israel in battle. But for the overwhelming majority, we have seen nothing but peace. In fact, Judah was largely spared. It is a time of prosperity and peace. But all of that is about to be shattered. Let me begin here this morning. You know, often as we talk about Jewish history, we note that war and unrest seem to come as a result often of their disobedience or their ungodliness. I talked a week ago about the Israelites and their cyclical journey 
of righteousness where they said, hey, we're going to live for the Lord, and then they would become complacent, and the next thing you know, they would be an outright sin, and there would be a punishment that was coming from God, and then they would cry out for help, and they would repent, and he would restore them, and then they would start this journey all over again. But I want you to see today that bad things don't just happen to bad people. They don't just happen when you've done something wrong. Sometimes it happens simply because we live in a fallen world. And the truth is, Jehoshaphat has been leading the people back to God. But there are still evil forces at work around us. The Israelites are living for God. They've made worship of God important again. Yet as we see in verse 1 and 2, there is an attack that is on the horizon. Please note that times of prosperity and peace, during those times, we are just as vulnerable to the attacks of Satan as we are when everything's going wrong in our lives. He is always going to attack. I've shared this story for years, but I remember many, many years ago taking a trip as a youth pastor to Myrtle Beach. It was early in March, which is usually not a problem weather-wise. Unfortunately for us, a freak cold front came through that night before we arrived. We were there for three days, and the temperature never reached 32 degrees. Very unusual that time of year. As a part of this youth pastor's retreat, for every night that we stayed at this particular resort, we also got a free round of golf, and they have nice golf courses there. Well, I don't care if it's below 32 degrees. If you got free golf, you're playing golf. So we did, and we went out there. I, it was cold enough where I'm not exaggerating to say that I watched as one guy hit the ball, and as soon as he made contact, I saw the ball go that way and that way at the same time. The ball literally split in half. That's how cold it was out there. I saw one guy when he swung. As he swung, the club just continued around to his backside because the club actually snapped in half inside the handle. That's how cold it was as we played. But we're stubborn and we're guys, so we went out anyways, and we had a great time doing it. We got ready to leave after the three-day time there in Myrtle Beach, and as we got ready to leave, my wife reminded me that during the entire time we had been there, we had yet to go to the ocean. Well, it doesn't even count as going to the beach if you didn't actually go to the beach. So as we're getting ready to leave, we stopped at a Hardee's on the way out, and then we drove down to the beach. And when it's 32 degrees out, you can just pull right up because there's nobody else there. So we did. And we get out and we begin walking down the beach. And I will tell you, it was probably the most peaceful time I have ever seen as we enjoyed that day. I know it was cold, but man, it was calm. And it was beautiful, and suddenly the most vicious attack I have ever seen happened. I told you we had stopped at Hardy's. I got those hash rounds. And as I'm walking down the beach, I'm not exact. okay, I am exaggerating. There had to be at least 100 seagulls. And I look up, and there are all of these seagulls hovering over top of me. And they want my hash rounds. Now, here's the thing. You don't hang out underneath the seagulls because they drop things. And I didn't want them to drop anything on me. So I take off running down the beach trying to save my hash rounds. I look back at my wife and she thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. Here's the thing. I eventually, by the way, I did give them the rest of my hash rounds. They did leave me alone after that. 
here's the thing. When we experience peace and everything seems okay, you are just as vulnerable then as you would be if you were doing something you weren't supposed to do. We live in a fallen world where sometimes many things happen that maybe maybe we don't think they should happen, but God already knows ahead of time. He is very much in control. In the midst of their peace, talking about the people of Judah, Jehoshaphat, their king, receives word that an attack is pending. This attack is not just a few guys either. They have three nations that are joining together against them all at the same time. So this is a pretty big deal. How will Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah respond? Look in verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So in the midst of trial and attack, the very first thing that Jehoshaphat thinks to do is to pray. In fact, he takes it a step further, calling on the people of Judah to both fast and pray. By the way, we rarely hear about fasting in today's church, but it's something that is modeled for us repeatedly throughout the scriptures. It is typically a time of intense prayer where the one praying chooses to sacrifice something, to not eat or to not watch, to spend time focusing instead on the Lord. We tend to live such self-absorbed lives, always focused on what we want, our next meal or whatever other thing that we really enjoy. In fasting, we deny those wants, and in turn, we focused more intently on prayer. Well, Jehoshaphat calls upon all of Judah to pray and fast. Notice they don't go and make a peace treaty with somebody else. They don't go and try to train their troops up really fast so they'll be ready and they'll be strong enough for battle and they'll be able to take on these enemy nations. Instead, they simply, as a body, as a complete group of people, they choose to pray and to fast, asking the Lord for help. Before I go any further, I want to invite you as the body of Christ to fast and pray. I cannot tell you what the Lord's will is for this upcoming week. I mentioned at the beginning, I know that I have an opinion, as each of you likely do as well. But I'm not always right. What I can tell you is that each of us ought to vote in accordance with what we believe is most consistent with God's word. But regardless of what takes place, what we really need is the people of God to pray. Pray that God would move miraculously within our land. I anticipate that regardless of who wins this election, there will be some type of unrest that will follow. Pray that God would protect and reunite this land. And more than anything else, pray that God would send revival to this land so that we could do more than just be united but rather we could be a people that would honor the name of our God. Maybe you're not quite at the point where you could go seven days without a meal, but I call on you as a church even to fast. 
Maybe it's just for a single meal. Maybe it's just during your lunch hour each day, but I call on you to fast. Use that time to intentionally focus on Christ in prayer. Who knows? Maybe God will choose to move in a way that none of us ever could have imagined. If only we would fast and pray as Jehoshaphat had the people of Judah do. Now let's get back to the passage. Listen to the prayer that Jehoshaphat offers to the Lord. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in the presence before, in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. And it's giving down to verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, I got to tell you, I absolutely love this prayer. A few weeks ago, I talked about having a model of what prayer should look like. Well, consider the model that we see here. The first thing he does is he shows recognition of God's greatness. Jehoshaphat begins with a recognition of who God is. He has been faithful. He is the God of heaven. He is the God who is over all kingdoms. He is almighty, and he has provided victories in the past. I know that y'all probably know this already, but God is and always will be our greatest hope. And what Jehoshaphat is declaring here is, even though this army that is attacking may seem great, it is nothing compared to you. You are the one who conquered all the nations that existed here before we came here. You're the one who did that. Are you not the God of heaven? Are you not the one who gave us the victory? He recognizes, he begins by recognizing how great God is. Then he turns to what I would call a statement of devotion. He says, if calamity comes upon us, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. You know, it's easy for us to declare our devotion when everything is good. It's easy to be faithful to God when he has provided a full bank account, good health, and whatever else it is that we're looking for. But what Jehoshaphat is saying here is that even when life stinks, even when calamity comes upon us, I am going to worship you. We need that kind of devotion today. What if the doctor comes back with a bad report? What if a different candidate wins this week? What if everything around you begins to fall apart? Lord, if calamity comes upon us, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. You see, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, yeah, the world could be falling apart all around you. But God is still the God of the universe choosing to make his dwelling inside of you. We ought to be so devoted to him that even if everything else goes wrong, we're okay. And we continue to keep our eyes fixed on him. The final thing we see in this prayer is a confession of personal weakness. We see this final element within this prayer. He is admitting, I don't have what it takes. He doesn't have what it takes to be victorious. He admits that they have no power to stand against this mighty army. So our hope, our eyes, they're fixed on you. I want you to know that this is a beautiful place to be. When you begin to recognize how great your weakness is, not how great your strength is, but how great your weakness is, how much you need God, that's when you're in the right place. That's when you are forced to depend solely on God to meet your every need. And God doesn't disappoint I'm going to talk a little bit about this next week as well, but I'm going to tell you, this turns into one of the greatest stories ever. As the people of Judah are instructed, God will tell them to go ahead and fight, and I will go before you. So Jehoshaphat gathers up the army, and they get ready, and they head out to go to battle. But what they don't know is that God is already fighting the battle for them. And these three nations, as they have gathered together to go and fight against the people of Judah, God begins to change their hearts. And what happens is instead of all three of these nations focusing in on, we got to defeat the people of Judah, they begin to turn on each other. And by the time the people of Judah show up to fight the battle, they look out over this battlefield and they see nothing but dead bodies. Because each of those nations had fought to the death. It will actually take them days for them to collect all the plunder. (laughs) Notice what happened there. God took this invading army, this thing that could have caused fear and caused them to stumble and no longer depend solely on God. And God took it as an opportunity for the Israelites to collect plunder. Isn't it funny how God can use some of the most difficult things that we face to actually make us stronger and better than we ever were before? I am so grateful to know today that regardless of what tomorrow holds, regardless of what the rest of today holds, God is still in control. And he will be the one to provide. But the best thing that I can do is to turn to him, is to depend on him. So I want to go ahead and take a moment. We're going to pray. we got some other stuff to do. It's not the end of the, the service today. But I want to take a moment. I want us to pray. There are things that are going on around us. This COVID virus, I'm going to tell you, I am so tired of this. I'm tired of hearing that people that I love and care about have the virus. I'm tired of things being shut down. I'm tired of not knowing whether... It's really as bad as everybody says that it is. There are all these questions. I'm tired of it. Instead of complaining, it's time for us to turn to the Lord and say, God, we need you to intervene. This election, yeah, it causes a lot of stress. 
I've tried hard not to even post much of anything on social media because it's automatically a reason for people to fight. It used to be a time that as a nation, you could have different opinions and still be civil with each other. Well, that's in the past. It seems today that if you don't agree with me, you hate me. And therefore, there's no middle ground, no way for us to come together and still be a united nation and even a body of Christ. So what do we do? Do we look with hopelessness or do we turn to the Lord in prayer? And that's what I want to call on you to do. I don't know, maybe some of you are facing some other things today. Junk that nobody else is aware of. I know that the best place for you to turn is to him. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, we recognize that there is an awful lot of junk going on around us. We're tired of it. We're tired of the divisiveness. We're tired of the pain and the suffering. And our only hope is you. So I pray right now that you would move in our midst, that you would perform miracles. I pray that you would bring healing to those who are sick. I pray that you would provide a cure for this disease. I pray that you would cause people's bodies to no longer be impacted by it. Seems like an impossible task, but nothing is impossible with you. So we ask right now that you would touch not only our nation, but our world today as we fight this battle. We ask that you would be with our nation, especially in these coming days. May we find strength and we, may we find peace in you. Lord, I pray that your will would be done. I pray that you would help us to not get our eyes fixed on whoever the next individual is who will lead our nation but instead help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Just as the people of Judah did in this moment, may we look to you. May we fix our eyes on you. I pray today that you would pour out your spirit on your people. Allow us to be a light, to bring hope to a world that is so divided and so broken. Father, I pray today that you would Anoint us, fill us, use us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I do want you to see something. I told you I'm not done. I do want you to see something. We're looking at this series on the full armor of God, and we have yet to look at a single piece of the armor. Last week we talked about us preparing for battle that seems far off, but we don't know when it's coming. Today, we've talked about the need to go to the Lord because there is a battle that is sitting right in front of us. Next week, we'll start looking at the pieces. But know this, if you don't get these first two parts, preparing for the battle that is yet to come, and we don't know when it's going to be here, and preparing for the battle, planning for the battle that is sitting at our doorstep, if you don't get these two right, you won't be prepared for the battle. You see, in both cases, preparing for the battle and in planning for the battle, the one that is far off and the one that is close, the answer is prayer. Us going back to the Lord and asking for His will to be done, asking for His strength to be revealed. And that's where we need to stay as we deal with whatever the battle may look like. 
I love the image that is portrayed in the book of, uh, it would have been in Deuteronomy, as Moses leads the people of Israel. Joshua actually goes down on the battlefield. And Joshua is the one who, he's the military commander. He's leading them. This is what you must do. And he leads them in battle. But as he goes and leads them in, in battle, Moses is up on the mountainside. He is the spiritual leader. And as long as Moses' hands are raised, they continue to experience victory. Basically, it was symbolically saying that God's blessing is resting upon these people. They needed a military leader, but what they really needed was the blessing of God. And the moment that Moses' hands would begin to recede, they would drop down, the Israelites would begin to lose. So you had two other individuals, Aaron and Hur, who then took Moses' arms and they helped him hold those arms up. And as long as those hands were up, they won. I'm going to tell you, as long as we walk in the blessing of God, we can still experience victory. But we must go to him. That's what this is about. Us starting in the right place, which is allowing God to be the one who gives us the victory. Today we are going to participate in a celebration of the Lord's Supper. And as a part of that, I've got several individuals who are going to help in a few minutes. But uh, the real purpose of this is for us to be able to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um, this has been a difficult time for us a little bit with the coronavirus, so let me talk about the elements for a minute. Um, you guys know we, we got those prepackaged elements that we were using, and that's with the little styrofoam wafers. It's not really styrofoam, but it's like styrofoam. You guys know what I'm talking about. If you leave it in your mouth long enough, it just disappears. You don't even have to eat it. It just kind of disappears. And then we had the little juice cups that already had juice in it. And truthfully, I think the ones that we got might have fermented at some point or another. It was pretty strong stuff. We decided that we wanted to do something a little bit different in celebrating communion this week. Uh, so several of the staff, not myself, but I'm grateful for those who have, uh, have prepared the elements for us so we can actually use bread and grape juice like we normally would have done, except it's already packaged. So when you come forward, you won't have to worry about someone else has already touched my bread or someone else has already, okay, I know it happens. It shouldn't happen. But sometimes when people go to grab those cups out of the tray, I have seen people actually get their fingers in somebody else's cup. Well, we don't have to worry about that today because we've already got it prepackaged and it makes it a lot easier for everybody. Let me just tell you, it doesn't matter what elements you use. We're going to use real bread today. It's really no different in what it represents, though. You see, the thing is, even if we use those styrofoam wafers, it still represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. Jesus took two elements that were used at every meal. That's why he did it. They always ate bread. They always drank wine. Well, our goal today is to take these elements and actually apply it in a way that says, hey, this is where we find our hope. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate communion here. Maybe you could do the same thing at lunch today. When you sit down with your family, with your friends, and you're sitting at home or at a restaurant or wherever you might be, as you gather and you get ready to eat, he said, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So you get ready to eat a sandwich. This bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that is broken for me. 
What does that mean to me? This grape juice, Sprite, Coke, I don't care what you drink. Well, I do. Anyways, separate issue. This represents the blood of Jesus Christ that is shed for me. Allow this today to be an opportunity for you to ask the question, what does it mean to me that Jesus laid down his life? I know I'm a different person today because of what Jesus Christ did. I have a hope today that I didn't have before. I have the promise of eternal life that has been guaranteed to me. I no longer have to deal with the sin that entangled me before. I can live a free and holy life here today. That's what the the blood of Jesus Christ and the body of Jesus Christ means to me. I'm going to encourage you today, if you are, whether you're a member or not, if you are a part of the body of Christ, we're going to invite you to come. I'm going to pray over these elements, and then Tim and I've got Abby and Alyssa are going to come up, and they're going to help me serve this morning. And we're going to invite you to come. After everyone has received the elements, then I will pray and we will all partake of the elements at the same time together. So I ask you to just take it back to your seats. If you do not feel led to come forward to receive the elements, don't feel like you have to, but we invite you to. So let's pray first. Father, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the gift of your son, for his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed. I pray today that as we worship, as we spend time in this holy act celebrating what you've done, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed and its impact. I pray that you would remind us today of what it truly means. Father, I thank you that my life is different, that I have been forgiven, that I have been made whole. I thank you that I have a hope. I have the promise of eternal life that the rest of the world longs for. Lord, I pray that I would never, ever forget what your body and your blood means to me. That I would never forget what this sacrifice costs you. Father, I pray today for each one who is here that this would be more than a ritual, but this would be a time to simply express our love and our thanksgiving to you. Let this be a time of renewal. Or maybe we've taken this gift, this sacrifice for granted for a long time. Lord, I pray that right now would be a time for us to say no more. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Let this be a time to remember. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
turn this back on. So this is different. It's very different for me. Um, but that being said, what it represents is not. It's the same thing. This is all about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I know we prayed about it in just a moment ago, but what does the sacrifice of Christ mean to you? How different are you today because of what he's done? I look around the room and some of you, when I met you, you were still in the midst of sin. Jesus Christ has brought redemption and hope and forgiveness and life. Some of you, and I look and I think, wow, what an incredible honor to see God do that kind of work. But it didn't come cheap. It came at a great price. So today we celebrate that price. Jesus, as he met with his disciples on the last night, took bread and he said, this represents my body that is broken for you. Never forget it. Every time you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. He then took the wine. Again, I told you this is just grape juice. But he then took the wine and he said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. All the way back in Genesis, by the way, that was always the way it worked. The only way to cover up for sin was for blood to be shed. When Adam and Eve committed sin, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, but it wasn't enough. So instead, God took the skin of an animal to cover up their shameful nakedness. Recognize that that was always God's plan. The moment sin entered the world, blood, the shedding of blood, would be what would cover up for one sin. Jesus Christ allowed his blood to be shed to cover up for your sin and for mine. He said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Father, again, we come before you, grateful for the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray today that you would allow us to live in celebration of what you have done. You are still on the throne and we give thanks to you. And I pray that no matter what happens moving forward, we would always live as those who have been redeemed at a great price. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is truly a blessing to have you with us. If you would, if you want to just leave these in your pew, we'll have someone come back through afterwards and they will take care of getting them into the trash. Thank you for being with us this morning and going.